you know, everybody knows that the rut happens from the beginning of September to the very last cow getting bred, right? So it normally kicks off very beginning of September. And uh, some cows come in heat early and some cows come in heat later in the season, like October sometime. But I would say for the majority of the cows that, that came in heat, they came in heat late in September. That was, you know, my overall senses of how it was going. I'm a firm believer in if I do got a caller and I'm set up for an opportunity that I don't give away my location because you change up the hang up spot now. So his hang up spot could have been 50 yards from you and then instead it was 80 yards now. That's why I, if I got a caller and I'm set up for an opportunity, even though I love calling, I, I consider myself okay caller, right? Even though I might have a caller with me and my caller's calling, I won't make a noise. And then there's over the hill, there's this big herd bull. He keeps, both of them are talking to each other. Well, when the herd bull erupts, Pat erupts with a bugle. Now he changed the whole dynamic. Now he has another bull that's moving in even closer to his herd. And I told Pat specifically, I said, they're talking on their own, only cow talks, because I want to see if we can pull this big satellite bull in. And when I did that, when he did that, he changed the whole dynamic. Now that bull wasn't there gonna come in. And I wasn't saying nothing at this point, but he just kept bugling. And I said, well, now I gotta introduce cows now. So I started introducing cows and I made it sound like there was cows between me and Pat. Right. And I had to change it because he just kept bugling. He, he made some cow noises, subtle, you know, not, not a lot, just a few, but not what I wanted him to do. Calling sequence and I heard a distant bugle, but it sounded to our left and down the hill quite a ways. And then after about 20 minutes, I was like, well, we're we gonna move. And I walked to Pat and we're talking, and I'm talking to Pat, next thing I know, behind Pat, here comes this bull and cow. So I point, I point, and if you know anything about elk coming in silent, you need slow movement because they'll, they'll peg you moving. Uh -huh. The wind was in our, pretty much, not going down to them, but going down the hill. They were coming up, but if they came hard left to us, they were gonna smell us. Hey guys, real quick before we get into this episode, I need you to do me a couple of favors. First, go give us a review on iTunes. I can't stress it enough, it's really, really important for me to help keep this free and to help me keep it going. Next, get involved with your hunting rights. Go join Howlful Wildlife. Super simple. It takes a couple minutes. You can even do the free membership. I don't care. But be involved. Lastly, I want you to do yourself a favor and up your shooting game. And go get you some Phoenix shooting bags. Use promo code John Stallone to save 20%. That's all I got for you. Let's get into this episode. Yeah, so we end up leaving... Uh hunting camp around Thursday and I think I got home Thursday we took time because we had to pack all that stuff up mm -hmm. but then uh, I got back on Thursday I don't know around three o'clock got home and immediately just started working on cleaning this stuff up man because I didn't realize like I I didn't bring bring as much as I usually bring mm -hmm. but I didn't realize I every time you say you ain't gonna bring a lot you end up bringing a lot. You're like, right. Jesus. And all that stuff had to be cleaned. And then I was going to Euro those, those heads, um, my heads anyways. 
So I started that while I was cleaning up and I just broke out the pressure washer and I started cleaning stuff, man. It was, it, it, been, it was been long weekend, long weekend. Cause uh, I spent the whole weekend from Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I was pretty much done on Sunday. The only thing I have to do now is reset up that tent and clean the tent out because we probably won't use that again this season. Yeah, not, if you put not, it up, if you put it up dirty, it's going to be wrecked. But when you reopen it, yep, I've so ruined I, more I'm tents a, that way than I can care to shake a stick at. You know, it's like, yeah, definitely, man. You spend you know fifteen hundred bucks on a tent or something. You definitely want to at least clean it up, and then you know if you if you're going to use it again right away, then you can probably get away with it. Mm -hmm. But I know. The, the next hunt that I use that on is going to be New Mexico hunt. I'm going to take it down there with me and, um, and use that tent. But so I won't use that tent until end of January of 2023. So it's might as well put that thing up clean. Yeah, for sure. Especially canvas. If you, if you have a canvas one, it's even worse. Oh, I bet. Holes in the moisture. Yep. Get exactly. Get that moldy smell. Well, for those of you who don't recognize his voice, I got uh, Jermaine Hodge with me on the line, and we're going to do a little recap of the elk season. Now, mind you, he was there the whole season, almost 30 days, and um, I was there for just a portion of it. But I kind of want to pick apart some of the things that went right and some of the things that went wrong. Not pick apart the things that went right, but point out the things that went right and pick apart the things that went wrong and yeah. you know in hindsight so it's 2020 i could always like shit i should have did this or i should have did that i think it's a good way to learn and um it's a good way for people to adapt that into their own skill set so absolutely i'll give you the floor man because you were there how many days were you there for before me before i got there um well, you, you came in on the, what was it, 7th? 15th. 16th? 15th. 15th, 15th. See, them days kind of blend together for me. So you, you were there on the 15th, my season. So I was there, the season didn't start till September 2nd, but I was there September 1st. So I was there for 15 days prior, 14 days prior to you getting there. So, mm -hmm. But hunting days would be 13 days prior to you getting there. And, um, yeah, the, the – uh, the season started off really good. It's uh, it started off like it. I say it didn't start off like last year. It started off a lot slower than last year, but nonetheless, it uh, it's still we still had some bulls responding. We had some bulls coming in silent, like normal younger bulls coming in silent, but we still were cutting bugles. So, uh, I'd say the first, I mean the second, the third, the fourth. Even the fifth was pretty good, and that's over that Labor Day weekend. Of course, I didn't see any of that traffic until I was back at camp, and I tried to be back at camp for the most part of in between hunts. So I didn't do no midday madness stuff. I just hunted the mornings. Mm -hmm. If I didn't get into them, then I would pull out and I'd go into another area. But we got into bulls every hunt basically up to that point, and then – it dried up really quick. And I would say this, you know, everybody knows that the rut happens 
from the beginning of September to the very last cow getting bred, right? Mm -hmm. So it normally kicks off very beginning of September. And uh, some cows come in heat early and some cows come in heat later in the season, like October sometime. But I would say for the majority of the cows that that came in heat, they came in heat late in September. That was, you know, my overall senses of how it was going. So the, the days prior to you getting there, it... I had another buddy out that that was his name was uh, Nathan and he's originally from North Carolina as well. But um, he came out and he hunted from the 5th through the 15th. And um, he uh, it was super dry for him. So I passed up quite a few bulls from the 2nd to the 5th. And not just because, you know, I could have shot him or whatever. I was just looking for an age class of of elk to you know take home right and um so i passed up quite a few elk that you know anybody else would have shot and they would have taken home any day but I, I i was you know in it for the long haul and i knew i had all season to get it done too as well so and then when nathan got out here man we went through a dry spell <laughs> i say dry we're in the elk every day but not every hunt so if we didn't catch them in the morning, we would pull out of that area and we'll go to a different area. And then we would call in some, you know, we had some encounters. But, but they were Whether really they were, call shy though, right? Like you had some encounters, but they weren't like bugling. And they were, no. and, and I know from what I understood is that most of the, most of the elk were coming in when you guys were doing the, what we call the cold, cold calling or the dry setup. Or you're exactly setting up a kind of a breeding scene or whatever. And yep, yep. They were coming in silent. If we cut any bugles off, uh, it would be in the morning. Definitely no bugles in the evening, and I would cover some ground. I mean, we would, you know, we some days we had sixteen mile days, and then but we were averaging probably eleven, mm -hmm. eleven mile days, and most of our bugling, if we had any bugling that day was in the morning and then if you didn't get in front of that bull or be in the mix of that that bull that particular bull then he shut up and you wouldn't find him again so but almost every last setup that we've done mm -hmm. was cold calling and those bulls coming in super silent so you would really have to pay attention because i'd set up nathan and I only carry my bow at, you know, average, I think I, I, I tallied up the days, 11 days out of the days I was there, but I would set up Nathan in the direction where I thought the elk would, would come in. Mm -hmm. And I was only right 50% of the time mm. because they would come straight to me gotcha. and he wouldn't have a, he wouldn't have a shot opportunity. And, um, and I'd say 99% of all the bulls that were called in were young four by fours or three by threes, some cows mixed in there too. But Nathan wasn't, you know, too picky at all. It was just, could he get an opportunity? And uh, we called in one bull that was a shooter. And, and once again, he came in silent. So it just didn't work out. And then when you got here on, the 15th yeah, that he was first, that first night we went out me you and him yep. and yep. uh pat and his wife and i think berg right they went out together yep. right 
And then we had, I remember we had an answer back, just like a little like lazy moan bugle and then kind of nothing until we kind of like we, we, we put some miles and not really miles. So I shouldn't say miles. We put some distance and then we got to a spot and then we can hear some cows off in the distance. Yep. Right. And then we dropped off that ridge and got down to the meadow where we thought the cows were calling from. Yep. And we pretty much all about gave up because we started calling, doing a dry sequence down there or a cold call down there and nothing. And we started walking out that trail and I looked out into the pasture and I could see a bull coming across the field. And I'm like, there's a bull coming. There's a bull coming. And you got set up and got started to work. Now, I felt obligated to let, I'm like, I just showed up. It was the first evening, my first evening hunting. I felt obligated to Nate. You know, he had been there for 10 days and hadn't had a shot opportunity yet. And so I kind of wanted to get him the bull. And he's coming across, you're, you were raking a tree, you were making cow sounds, you were doing all the things right. And this bull's coming across this big open meadow. And this is where the first thing went wrong is, and unfortunately, this is just, this is Nate's first time elk hunting and I should have went down there with him, but yeah, in my head, I was like, okay, there's, we'll just have two, a two suit, sh- uh, a two shooter setup. So, but there was a little like, you know, uh, elk trail that dropped out of the trees and got to the edge of the meadow down into the right. And then there was, you know, like 15 yards over, there was another one that went down to the left. So the two shooters would have been about 30 yards apart at the meadow's edge. And I I feel in my heart of hearts, I know, actually I know 100% just being down there that if Nate would have went where I told him to go, he would have had a 30 yard shot. Absolutely. In the wide open, in the wide open. But yeah. when he got down to the edge, there was some jack pines there, and he was like, "Oh, I can't see." I didn't, he didn't want. To, he was afraid to break, you know, to like break through it because he didn't want to alert the elk. So he walked back up the trail, and he came over to me and came down my trail. I'm like, "Oh shit, dude, he's coming. You just need to sit down. Just sit down right now because I can't send him back over there now. You know, now now the the time to move was was done. You know, we had we had." you know, basically 45 seconds to get set up in the right place because of where he was at. Yeah. I was up on the hill and I seen you point him to that direction. He went over there and later on, after everything was done, I told him what he should have done. What he should have done was drop his pack and slide underneath them trees. Right. But then he, he got there and he got kind of tangled up and then he went back over to you. By then I was heading up the hill to make, make it sound like I was, you know, right. trying to take these cows back away. Yep. Absolutely. No, you were, I mean, you, you were playing it masterfully and we could talk about it, but I'll let you talk about what you were doing and, and how you even saved the moment when the bull got the one, the bull busted and we, and really gave us another, another opportunity that didn't pan out. But anyway, so Nate comes and sits next to me. So now I'm like, all right, well, um, I got my arrow knocked and all this stuff, but like, I don't want to give away too much movement because I was in a pretty open spot. Like, it wasn't a like ideal concealment situation. Right. But I had this one big 
pine tree in front of us that kind of like gave a good buffer, which also ended up being the reason why we couldn't shoot the elk. And I say in front of us, it was 10 yards in front of us and, and to my right a little bit. It wasn't like I wasn't sitting directly behind it. For those of you who are automatically thinking, well, you don't go sit behind a tree. So anyway, we're at this, there's a creek running in front of us and it's a big open meadow and this bull's coming across to, to Jermaine calling. And I could see the, the path through the willows. Like I could see it. So I knew he was going to come right in front of us. Like I knew it. So I'm like, just scoot right here. Just go like three yards down. And like, he's going to come and he's going to be at like 50 yards. Well, he stopped at like 55 and it was kind of quartering to us. Now, Nate said, I don't, man, I'm not blah, blah, easily. I'm not cutting on Nate, but Nate says he didn't have a shot. Like he didn't see, he didn't have a shot window. And I don't see how that's possible because I was sitting to the right of him and my shot window was even tighter and harder, but I feel like I still could have got an arrow to where the elk was. So I think he probably could have shoot, could have shot right there, but he wasn't comfortable because the elk was kind of quartering to us, which is perfectly fine. He made the right decision. Well, the elk decides to turn and he starts coming right at us, but he's behind this tree now. And he stops right behind the tree at like, I think at one point I, he was probably at like 28 yards, something like that, but completely covered up by this tree. So now I can't shoot him. Neither can Nate. Well, he keeps coming and I, I'm thinking he might come up on the bank, but I'm like, shit, our wind is kind of going that way. And sure as shit, he started to come up the bank and I'm like, he's going to step out. Like I, I'm like, get ready to draw back. And as soon as he was about to step out, that's when he hit that scent cone and he stopped and he, just ran back out and he stopped at like 70 something yards. And then you barked at him. He was actually going even further. You barked at him at like 85 yards, which made made him stop. And then you you had this whole interchange with him for like, I don't know, shit. I felt like it was at least an hour, (laughs) but it probably was only like 30 minutes. Um, And then until, you know, just until, until it got dark. The other part, yeah. of, the other part of the equation was I didn't, I left out was that Pat and those guys were up the meadow, the top par- portion of it, and he kept cow calling. He was cow calling and cow calling, and cow calling. So the the elk was like, "Do I go to this right here where the bulls at, or do I go to where the cows at?" Like he didn't know where to go. He was like, you could see it in his head. He was going back and forth, and like he would go. One start going towards Pat, and then you'd start calling a little bit more aggressively. He'd start coming back this way, <laughs> like go back. It was kind of like a yo-yo for a little bit there. And uh, yes, it was. Yeah, I don't know. So uh, go ahead and uh, what I saw well, in the whole situation was, I mean, I feel like Pat was a, as much as of a help he was keeping him there. He was just as much as a hindrance because yeah, of what the elk or where he was at. Into their defense, they we we should have been a little bit more, you know, in better communication because mm-hmm. we nick we nicknamed this spot and and we nicknamed all spots and I should have told them that's where we're going. Right. But they had no clue where we were going and we had no clue where they were going. Right. And we thought they were going to do something different. So then when we heard them, I knew it was Pat at a certain point. So I was like, okay, 
well, we're just going to make this work because now we got this bull in front of us. So, right. But, but when that bull whirled, when he whirled out, most people don't understand is if you just bark at him, then you mess up everything they thought or they, they might've smelled. Right. Right. And then they hear, they hear an elk, not just a cow sound. Mm -hmm. They hear a bark. And that's like, show yourself, you know, yep. hey, what are you doing over there? And why are you running? You know, kind of thing. So I barked at him. And now he's like, well, maybe I didn't smell humans over there. Mm -hmm. I didn't. Maybe that is an elk. And then we just, like you said, it felt like an hour, but it was probably more like 30 minutes of keeping this bull around. And at some points, I didn't, I, I wasn't down there with y'all. Um, I was up on the hill, but at some points I was like, man. He's got to be within range, but I don't know exactly how far that was from where y'all were. Um, it, but if I re when he was there, when he was there, when you were barking back and forth at each other, and you guys were yep. like bugling back and forth at each other, he was a ninety. Yep. He was a ninety-five at that point. Oh, he was way too far. Yeah. Okay, and then uh, so replaying it back in my head, I think you know the two-shooter opportunity would have been way better. As I said before, I and we. We told Nate later, if you get in that situation where you can't get to that brush, drop your pack and slide under that brush because it it, it was easy to slide up underneath it. Mm -hmm. And then he could have made it to that tree. And then he would have had a shot before that bull whirled out of there. He wouldn't. Oh, he wouldn't 100 percent. He wouldn't have hit the scent cone before that. Is, you no, know what he I was actually saying. would have been past it. So the scent was kind of almost going mm -hmm. not quite left to right. But right. left to right, but slightly quartering towards the elk. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It, exactly. So and, um, it it like it was actually a perfect wind because of where he was coming from. He had to get in range before he even could hit it. But on exactly. his lucky bastard that he is, there was that tree in the way. Exactly. Well, let's go back. We'll go back to me keeping this bull around. So. I I barked at him and now he's confused. He's doing the yo-yo thing between me and our other buddies that are over there calling too. Now they're 150, 200 yards up the drainage. Mm -hmm. And at, at, at a certain point they realized it was me too, but they also knew that we had a bull right there in front of us. So me and this bull are basically playing the barking game. And he, he wasn't, he was chuckle, he would bark and then he would chuckle and I would just mimic that noise. Mm -hmm. And um, when we did this, and this interaction was going on for about 15 minutes, we lit up another bull. Mm -hmm. This bull pops out and he's a way more mature bull. He comes out and he chuckles. And I'm like, holy smokes, now we got two of them going at it. And um, he chuckled once. And then I lost track of where, like, he just shut up at that point. And I didn't see what you seen. Yeah. And I couldn't see that bull. I just heard him. He came to, literally in the same path that the, the first bull did. But he got mm -hmm. to the meadow and it almost looked like he looked up the meadow towards where Pat was. Uh-huh. And then he turned around and left. So I don't know if he saw them moving, possibly. I don't know. But I don't know what spooked yeah. him. Because no way in hell he had the wind. But he literally like turned around and 
boogied back. Like, yeah, it was really weird to me. I was like, he just shut up. So that now that makes more sense now that I'm look I'm thinking about it. So he could have because where his angle was, he could have definitely seen mm-hmm. up that meadow and seen them moving. Yeah, that's the only thing I can yeah. think of. But yeah, yeah, I mean that was my first night, so I was like, yeah. Colorado's gonna, <laughs> Colorado's gonna be it this year, baby. And right, right. And then I went literally four days, three days, didn't hear a bugle. <laughs> right. It was so, nuts. So we could skip it, past it, those three days. <laughs> it, it it drew it uh it dried up for sure. Um we did have a, a an exciting morning uh of so at the I think it was was it morning two or morning three that when you came up to camp? Mm-hmm. They oh, were yeah, yeah, camp. yeah. That was that was morning. It was morning three. You're right. It was the it was so. Yeah, the next two days I didn't hear anything, and then third morning that I was there. So okay. it was my fourth day, or my fourth, yeah. Because I came for the first afternoon hunt, that's just screwing me up. So yeah, I, I was counting that as day four. But it, yeah, basically my third my third morning came into camp, um, driving in. One, I saw a bull pass pass in front of me, and then um, we get there, and I'm sitting out there talking to you, and we're like, "Was that just a bugle?" <laughs> yep. Yep. Like a bugle. So then I grabbed my bugle tube and I went over the hill, probably about a hundred to 120 yards away from camp, I lit off another location bugle and they just erupted. And it was, wasn't just one bull. It was three probably three different bulls, yeah. three different bulls in there. So we changed plans really quick and we went after these bulls, but I knew I, I've been in that area before and I knew that this could be a really quick hunt and it can go really well, or we could just be in them and the hunt be over by nine o'clock is how fast this can be. And, um, so we went after man. We we stayed on these bulls, and the thing about it though is we worked them from two different angles. Mm-hmm. So I had taken Nate down with me, and Pat took you up with him, and kind of things. So I would say this: definitely an exciting morning. But if you don't get on them right away, they'll go right to that private land. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what they did. They disappeared on that private land and then trying to pull them off the private land was super tough. So then we sat there pretty much going back and forth with a few different bulls. And um, I looked across and this private land, it really, it's super long, but it's narrow. Mm-hmm. And I was glassing across and they left that private land and went on the public land on the high end side of it. So it was really low and then it kind of went up and I watched where these elk were and kind of pinned it down on my onyx of where they were going. Mm-hmm. And, uh, sure enough, man, uh, that kind of set the tone for that afternoon, but that morning was super exciting. And I think they had a hot cow in there or something. Um, because they, they were going nuts. Yeah. They and, were going uh, nuts on their own. I mean, so yeah. the, the things, the takeaways, I think from this, the, without really knowing the situation, obviously it's hard for us to paint the picture for you. What I noticed from the get go is that we never had the wind in our yeah. favor, no matter which way we moved coming from the side that we were coming from, the wind was always kind of messing with us. So in hindsight, 
Now, call it laziness, call it, uh, you know, just excited and not wanting to lose the opportunity. In hindsight, I feel like maybe if we had gotten what gotten in the trucks and took the long way around to that road that was by your old camp, uh, yep. basically getting behind the elk, behind the elk on the other side of the elk, um, we might have had a better chance Adam from there. But yeah, I, we I looked, still made, I looked at the map too. We still yeah, made opportunity. We still made an oh, opportunity. Yeah. Like I had we Pat and I called that we called that calf down to us and that bull was behind that cow, like just over just over the where we couldn't like see like over this like rise. He was right there. I've I I yep. I'd have to imagine we were probably hundred twenty yards from that bull. And that calf yeah. came to 30 yards, you know? So, I mean, we still made opportunities and that was like right in the beginning. Cause what ended up happening is when we went, when we both, both split up, we're like, okay, mm-hmm. we're going to go after this bugle. You guys are going to go after that bugle. Well, right. soon as Pat and I dropped off and try to get on that other ridge and start heading, I was like, dude, the fucking wind is on our back. We're, and he shut up. I know what happened. He got our fucking wind and he was out of there. And I was like, so I'm like, the only thing that we can do right now, and I didn't know which of the two bugles, because there were still two bulls bugling, which one you you were going for exactly. But I was like, all right, well, let's just get in the mix here. Okay. So Pat and I made this really, we ran like, and took this really long, like loop around. And somehow we ended up not too far from you, <laughs> but um, that's when we had the encounter with the calf. Once the once the calf not really busted, but she ran. Then she ran towards you guys. Once they were out of the picture, Pat and I dropped back to a tree line, and we got around and we swung all the way around and hit this road. Ran up this road, and we almost caught up with that bull before he hit. The private land. So it like worked out like it was like one of those like dollar short, you know, minute late type situations. Like we could have we could have probably made that work. I don't know, had we moved a little bit faster, or like I said, if we would have started in the truck and then kind of got around on the other side versus we left all of us left from camp. You know, yeah, I I replayed it back in my head, and I think that would have been a smarter move. I would have just jumped in the truck, hauled butt across, came in from the back way, and then we would have had probably a better opportunity. Hindsight twenty twenty, right? Mm-hmm. But we played the hand a little differently, and we still got into him. So on our end, when we dumped left mm-hmm. and left y'all. Yep. We dumped over a ridge line, and when we dumped over the ridge line, it dumps into a meadow below us. But we were in the wood line, uh-huh. and we heard the bull. He couldn't have been no more than 100 yards from us. So we had to be quiet because it wasn't shooting like yet. Yeah, I was going to say, we were still, this is still in the dark. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we just shut up, and we waited for first shooting light. And I told 
everybody dumped their packs and it was three of us. Mm-hmm. It was a cameraman, myself and the shooter. Right. And we dumped our packs. I said, we'll mark them, but we're going to stay very flexible on being able to move fast. So we carried what we needed and left the rest. And when we got first shooting light, I dumped Nathan at the edge of this hill. Mm-hmm. So I stayed over so I could pull this bull up to the edge so he can come up and look because that's what they're going to do. They're going to come up to the edge and look over with their head. Mm-hmm. But before he could do that, he was going to get shot by Nathan. Right. So I'm back there, cow calling, cow calling, only cow calls because I didn't want to introduce another bull to the situation. It was only the first bull that we went after. It was another one I'll talk about here in a minute, but we went after that first bull. Well, I called one of his cows up. His cow went probably 30 yards from Nathan. Mm -hmm. And this bull just stayed down there with the other cows. I can hear him down there. And um, so I I said, well, let's make a move. And I I thought that bull was more so going up towards the direction of that you guys went. Mm -hmm. So I popped over the edge and I said, okay, Nate, let's make a decision here. He's like, I was like, there's another bull that's down lower of us. And like you said, the wind was never good. Never good. The best opportunity we had was that bull right there because the wind was going down and he was more so, we were more so on his level and the wind was going down the drainage. So afterwards we played that bull and he started going up the drainage instead of going towards the private land. He went back up the other way. And so I said, well, let's go after this other bull. And then this is when our stories kind of merged together. Mm-hmm. So we keep chasing this bull. And he's getting closer and closer to private land. And then next thing I know, we got this little calf, like mm-hmm. right there in front of us. And we leave that calf alone. And she kind of boogies off and leaves. But I got a bull that's on private land that's just over the edge. And I want this bull to jump this fence. And if you know anything about elk, when they get their mind set up, they got it set up and they're going to go their direction. It's very hard to turn them around. And um, that's exactly what happened. We pretty much at that point was at the mercy of just watching them, playing with them a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, you know, being vocal with them, keeping, you know, kind of w- where they're going. And we were, we had three bulls from where we were. We had three different bulls sounding off. Two of them were on public land across from the, the private side and I was paying attention to those elk and where they went. Mm-hmm. And then we had one that was just below us in the private land. So I was pretty much setting a stone that oh, he was, okay. that one was below us was literally sleep laying down in the dam on the fence line and the trees on the fence. line. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. So I we, kept telling Pat, I like, we need to sneak down to these trees. And if he comes over the fence, cause, cause you were calling and he kept, I, I could tell he was wanting to kind of like, I'm like, we had that like little patch of quakies on the other side of the, on our side of the fence, on the public yep. land side of the fence. I'm like, man, if we could get in there, we might actually have an opportunity for have this bull come over. But yep. we didn't want to, yep. we didn't want to blow everything up because we had to come across that big open, open meadow. Yeah, so, it was, uh, it was a dicey situation, but you know, playing it back, I think if we should have gotten a truck and went around and came from a different angle for sure, mm-hmm. it probably would have worked out a lot better, but we set the stone for that afternoon hunt. And then that afternoon we went in on um, where I seen 
this bigger bull. He he from what I was looking at, he was a giant six by and he's probably pushing three sixty, but he had some cows with him, probably about ten cows with him. And I didn't see any other satellites in that herd, but we just went in there because that was closer to 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 the um to leaving from your location and getting over there, it was a lot easier anyways. And well, we had to because that private land runs from where that is all the way down to the highway. So it's not we, we oh, couldn't yeah. even cross. We said so we had to go back out to the highway, go all the way around, you know, like right. a 45 minute truck ride, you know, right. to get yep. <laughs> to get to where we could hike to in probably 20 minutes, 15, 20 minutes. <laughs> you know, yeah. it was so, pretty I frustrating important part to to the listeners too you know you you in a situation like that take out your onyx or whatever map company that you use um, and and pinpoint where they at and how how can you get over there in that afternoon because you might not be able to close the distance between the morning right so pin it down and then go back after them in the afternoon that's exactly what we did so then we dump into the that spot in the afternoon and they were super quiet Right into a certain point. Yeah, about 40 minutes before last light. 40 minutes, yeah. max 40 minutes. And they fired up. And it was, well, at least two or three bulls in there, one bigger sounding bull. And then, and we worked them and worked them and worked them until we ran out of light. And they were all fired up. But I, once again, I think, you know, I, I think there was a hot cow that was in there, got them sparked up because by all means, the season didn't get good until later on part of the season so yeah but that was a great morning to eat and hunt and ca- well getting that getting on them anyways right uh, getting ne- after bugling bulls the next morning didn't hear a bugle didn't get on any elk and then yep. that afternoon you and i went out with jess and jess was the cameraman and we did a blind setup just a cold calling and I I could have killed this bull. My one major mistake is the way I set up. And it, the shitty part about it is, well, so let me try to paint the picture. We're on this like trail that parallels a creek and we're probably, I don't know, 50 feet in elevation above it on this long ridge line. So, I moved up the trail like 40 yards from Jermaine and Jermaine stayed back and he was calling from there and I was calf calling from my position. So the, the creek's at my back and I'm looking up, up the ridge and to my right side is trail that we haven't been behind and to my left on this trail is where Jermaine's at. And I'm kind of looking if if you can picture that, I'm looking at like one, two o'clock up the hill. And in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, well, this is the best lane other than my trail that's directly to my right. Now, directly to my right, that's my weak side to shoot, right? Because I'm left-handed, bows in the in my left, I'm excuse me, I'm right-handed, the bows in my left hand. I have to kind of turn, you know, 180 degrees to shoot down the trail. But in right. my mind's eye, and having done this a million times with 
coyotes and everything else like that I bow hunt and calling them in, I'm like, if I look in this direction, I should be able to see them coming down to the trail. And the end of the trail was so thick and tangled, like where it dropped off into that, you know, that little cut right there. I was thinking to myself also at this point, I'm like, I should be able to hear him coming from that direction. So I have enough time to turn. That was my fatal error right there. That was my my mistake. I should have just, like my initial thought process was, I should just f- put myself in a position where I can shoot down this trail and then I'd be able to, without having to really turn my body, I can swing and shoot the rest. That was my original thought process. And I should have went with that and I didn't. So what ends up happening is this bull comes in silent, doesn't make a sound. And I caught a glimpse of him when he was like two yards from hitting the trail. Like he had two steps to go. So I quickly turned while he was behind the tree and I drew back. And I think he caught me drawing back because he was on the trail at that point. And he stopped behind a jack pine that was covering up his whole body at 40 yards. Paint this picture a little bit even better for the listeners. Remember we were just talking about we got on them bulls in the evening mm-hmm. and they were screaming about 45 minutes before after light? Yep. Well, there's a drainage that they came from. And that drainage runs all the way up to the top where we are right now. Yep. So I came in from a different angle and we came at the very top of this. And now we got a bull at 40 yards that came in silent on us and... Right. We were basically over the top on the other side of where these the elk were from the, the night before. Yep. Yep. Right. Exactly. That, but, I mean, that was a lot of our encounters were, were calling these bulls in silent when they weren't talking. Right. Um, they would come in. They they would interact with the calls, but they would come in silent. Yeah. And right. um, I mean, I was at full draw. The pin was on him. I just, like, if he took two steps forward... He was done. Yeah, but I didn't want to take the risk of trying to shoot. Like I probably could have got it through there. I probably could have, but I don't like probably. <laughs> you know, no, especially not on elk. Probably an elk hunting doesn't work. Yeah, and he was already on. The other thing is too is like I was thinking he was like already on edge, so he probably would have reacted enough by the time my arrow got there that it wouldn't have gone even where I was aiming. So obviously I didn't shoot. We go the rest of the evening. I think we saw a moose, but we didn't. Oh, uh, we saw a good moose in there too. Yeah. Actually, I counted, I think six or eight different moose and six were, I think six were within bow range. (laughs) Unbelievable. (laughs) Unbelievable. And I I was getting me excited for my moose hunt, which came right after I left you guys and went moose hunting. But um, anyway, so now what are we at? Uh, Morning five? Morning five or somewhere in there. I think think we had like... Morning five, we had something, but it like died really, like really quick. Yep. Because I think we go to Serena's Hill... Oh no, hold on. No, no, we went there that evening. We went didn't we go back into the area and we only had that one bull bugle and we was kind of covering that ground and then there we snuck in close I say the area right below where we were this night, I think we were down lower again and we decided to go in there in the morning mm-hmm. and see 
and and cover some ground in there and see if those bulls were still in there. Well, we went in there and they were super quiet. And then I think if you jump on my IG, I posted this. The bull was a lover, not a fighter. But when I got in close on him, I threw a location bugle out and this dude erupts. He couldn't have been no more than uh, maybe 100 yards from us. And we never knew he was there. He was quiet the whole time until I got in too close. And then he erupts. But he was obviously he had cows with him. And um, I think we even heard a couple of them. Mm-hmm. And then he, he pushed around a ridge and we kind of went the opposite way to see if he we cut him off. Oh, he never yes, made a sound. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. He, right. he never made a sound again. Mm-hmm. And it was evident to us that they were still there. They were not excited. No. And if we back up a few days prior to that, they were super excited because they were down there by camp. And then you know, a couple of days later, maybe three days later, we went back in there and they were super quiet. So, I mean, it, it was just pointing. It was just pointing to there was one cow in there that was hot. Mm-hmm. And then she came out of heat. And then there was nothing. Right. They were just moving. And um, but that that was the only only elk we heard that morning. Right. We checked up a couple couple drainages, checked some water holes, and then we were like, "Wow!" Uh, we pulled out of that situation, and uh, I can't remember where that where the evening went with us. Where that I, led I, us to I go think to we eat. didn't have anything going on that evening, and then I yeah. remember that was like the next three days or the next three mornings, and and even the evenings we were into elk. I was like, "Okay, this is elk hunting." This is like what it's supposed yeah. to be like. Yeah, yeah. We, we start. We, we started, started that morning really when it was just you and I. At yep. that point, we didn't yep. have a cameraman. It was just you and I. We went to Serena, yeah. we went to Serena's Hill. We we hiked in there. You let out a location bugle from our listening ridge, and boom, three bulls fired up. We got in there. And we got in, I mean, we covered some ground. We went up and down, up and down through some shitty, like quakey patches and down some ridges and stuff, but we made it there fast enough. And it was still just before shooting light, which was perfect. So I got set up ahead of you. You, you had a, a little rise and, and you were like, what, 60, 70 yards behind me. Yep. And then you started calling and Again, one of the bulls came in silently, and unfortunately, man, I, I obviously no, no fault by your own because you didn't know what was going on. I was quite a bit of ways ahead of you. The herd bull was communicating with you. He was just every he was going bugle for bugle with you every time. Every time you cow call, he was answering back with cow calls. Everything. So coming from the top of the ridge down like on a from 12 o'clock to like six or about seven o'clock angle basically this bull starts coming down and i'm like oh here he fucking comes and i'm like ranging him up good bolt too probably 320 ish bull and i'm ranging ranging in front of him and i'm like all right as soon as he steps out past this jack pine and because where you were at he was going to cross me almost broadside. I was like, this is perfect. I drew back and then he hits that jack pine and he stops. And I'm like, 
what the fuck? Come on, motherfucker. Take another couple steps. I'm like trying to will him to happen. And all of a sudden, he just fucking comes unglued and runs back up the way he came. And I'm like, I let down. I'm like, what the fuck just happened? Check my win. And I look over my shoulder and I see you. And, and I'm walking. <laughs> and I see you walking, like, you know, to the, to, to try to pull the bull, you know, from a different direction. I know what you were doing. I would have did the same thing. But it was like, oh my God, can anything else fucking go wrong? This is not right. You know, I, I didn't see that bull at all. And if I would have seen him, I wouldn't have moved. Right. But I was thinking the last time I heard him bugle, I said, it sounded like he going up the hill. Oh, because so it, wasn't go, it wasn't him. It wasn't him. Yeah, it wasn't him. And I'm going to swing down low and try to pull this bull, you know, back. And sure enough, it was another bull coming in. Yeah. And I did not see one of the satellite bulls for sure. But, I was like, man, that was the opportunity right there. Oh, I was, I was like, just because then after that, literally, we lost them. Like they were gone. We heard them bugling for a little bit while longer. We try to get creative, looking on Onyx and 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 try to figure out where they were going because you had an idea because you had hunted this area many many times where they were going to go and we're like we couldn't try to get up there and nothing crickets it was crazy yeah yeah and then we went back in there that evening right is that the right. evening that it started raining yep that's the evening it started raining yeah we went back in there that evening and then we had another encounter with a different bull that i fucked up and i i know why i did it at the time but in hindsight, I feel like you're right. I probably shouldn't have said anything. I probably shouldn't have cow called. Yeah. If you well, could, I mean, if you could, let me try to paint the picture here. There's a a big patch of quakies higher up on the ridge that this bull was bedded in. There's about an eighty yard strip of meadow, and then another big patch of quakies on the downhill side. So I'm moving up through the quakies, get to the very edge of where the quakies are. Don't want to cross this meadow because I'm pretty certain that this bull can see down through where he's, you know, where he's at. It's not that thick where he's at, even though I couldn't see him at first. And you drop behind me like a hundred yards or so. Yep. And you, and there's a heel. Yeah. There's a heel that he would have had to come to, to see me. Right. So that's why I wanted to get on the other side of that hill. So he can hear me perfectly fine. Cause I'm calling up the hill, but he would have had to come to the hill to look down and see me. Right. So now I'm going to tell you why I called, but again, I agree with you. Maybe I should have just let curiosity kill the cat and see, yep. if, see if it worked, but it worked out. But at the time, I thought it was something I needed to do. So you're calling, he's bugling, but he ain't moving from where he's at. I see this cow come over. This cow, yep. this cow pops over from to the right, not even where he was at. And she starts walking towards kind of like my direction. Oh, sorry. Starts walking over to his direction. And, right. and I'm like, Oh, this ain't gonna be good. He's gonna, she's gonna go up there, and he ain't gonna come down to these, 
these other cows down here. And so what I did is I made two calf calls, which turned her and she started coming to me. That's why I originally calf called. And I was like, all right, here we go. Dude, she came to 50 yards and stood there just looking into the trees, 50 yards. Now that bull finally came out of the trees and down to the meadow edge when she was doing that. I was like, okay, it's going to happen. He's coming to her. I just need him to, you know, hell, just come 20 freaking yards and I'm going to shoot you. I mean, he was at 83 yards was my closest, my closest time that I ranged him. And I'm sopping wet. It had been raining. And I'm just like freaking starting to shiver, getting cold. And she decides to turn around and she starts walking towards him and then going back the way that she came. So now he starts following her and they're walking away. So now I'm like, okay, now I got to do the play the calf game, the lost calf game. So that's when I started calf calling again and which brought them back, but they never they never came to a range that I was comfortable shooting at with that amount yep. of light and what, you know, on an elk and, and so on and so forth. So I was like, fuck man. So that was why I calf called. Yes. It yeah. kind of gave me an opportunity, but I agree with you. Like maybe if I didn't do anything and that cow went up to him and you kept calling, especially when you introduced the other bull, I was like, maybe he, there's a good possibility that he would have, you know, at least broke the tree line enough and came towards me enough to, to want to, you know, for a closer opportunity. Right. So I don't know. That's one of those tough decisions where like, you know, it's like, it could have went a million different ways, but, and, and I don't know what the right answer is. Well, I mean, exactly. (laughs) I I think, I think this, I'm a firm believer in if I do got a caller and I'm set up for an opportunity, that I don't give away my location because you change up the hangup spot now. Right. Right. So his hangup spot could have been 50 yards from you. Yeah. And then instead it was 80 yards now. That's why I, you know, and I'll tell you a story a little later on uh, about my hunt towards the end, but, and I talk about the hangup spot, but if I got a caller and I'm set up for an opportunity even though I love calling and, and uh, I, I consider myself okay caller, right? Um, <laughs> that even though I might have a caller with me and my caller's calling, I won't make a noise. Yeah. I won't make a noise. But yeah, no, it, it almost happened though. It almost happened. Yeah, that because was another... we, got, we went back in there in the same area basically the next morning. And yep. we had to get really high up this time. We, at first, we we're like, oh, shit, they're freaking not in here. But then we got high up, and all of a sudden, they lit up, and we were on them. And it was just still rainy and fog, bad fog, um, which end, end up end up costing me my elk, basically, because I, I know I would have killed that, that bullhead. I know what range it was at. And we're just keep messing with this one, this one bull. He keeps bugling and walking walking away and then on the way in towards him i'm like i i in reached you because we were we were kind of far apart we were kind of like doing the lost calf and cow deal and i think i was probably i don't know 70 yards 80 yards ahead of you 
And I got to this edge and I'm like, there's a freaking bull right here. I know there is. Cause I, I heard him and he was doing this. Like he would just, every once in a while be like, and it was like, almost inaudible at first, but I'm like, there's a freaking bull right here. So you, I, it's in Richie, you come up to me and I'm like, I'm like, dude, there's a freaking bull here within 150 yards of us. Easy, easy, maybe even less. And he was less. And it was like this little opening, maybe like a, I think I ranged across 60 yards across and probably about 20 yards wide, just like little, little opening, I'll call it a meadow, whatever. And yeah, exactly. And you stayed right there at the edge of the trees and you're like, here, move, move up there and I'm going to start calling. Well, you started calling and I was, as I was moving up there and in my head, there was literally a little pine tree, like little, little Jack pine, like three foot tall deal. And I was like, I'm going to get to that and I'm going to kneel down and that's, I'm going to sit right there. I, I just said that in my head and here pops out this bull jumps up on the freaking from the, the ridge below or from the tree line below onto this little like grassy bench. And I'm like, motherfucker you know and i didn't have time to draw back or anything and he spooked and he runs up but it was so foggy that he didn't know what i was he didn't right like he didn't get a full picture of me he just saw some movement and you know you're talking to him so he's interested in the cows he's bugling bugling to the cows and you're doing your thing and he's very interested in what's going on so now as soon as he moves to a spot where I know he can't see me, I start like, you know, making my way through the cover and I get to a spot and I'm like, he's just going back and forth and he's kind of like walking in circles and bugling. And I'm like, he's going to come into this opening right here. And I'm trying to get a range to this opening. And I'm like, damn fog is telling me it's 10 yards away, but it's not, I know it's not 10 yards. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, man, I'm trying to, I'm trying to gauge it. I'm trying to range like down low to see if I could pop anything would pop back at me to kind of give me a distance to what that is so I can gauge it better. I finally get this like 23 yard from a like a log that's laying down down on the ground. And I'm like, okay, so that's 23. And I'm like, uh, he's at 60. Okay. And so in my head, I'm like, he's at 60. If he comes to that spot, he's at 60. Well, he gets to that spot stops perfectly in that spot like it was meant to happen broadside and i shoot and the arrow goes right over his back <laughs> and i'm like fuck he's probably like 45 yards right i'm like i don't know where the hell 60 came from but the fog was really messing with my depth perception anyway so he doesn't get really spooked he just runs up like 10 yards and i'm like okay well i know what i missed him at i slide around this tree again and I'm like, if he pops out into this next little opening, I'm going to shoot him for 40. Because now I'm even closer, and he didn't go any further away from me. Like, he didn't, he didn't gain any elevation or anything. Well, sure as shit, here he comes. He steps out, and he stops again broadside, <laughs> right in the perfect spot. I'm at full draw already. Anchor the pin, shoot. I hit a freaking branch, and I could see the arrow flip up and hit him sideways. Like, the arrow hit him you know, but, but not with the point, you know, 
And he slapped his side. He's still not freaking really that spooked. You were either had him so like intrigued at what the hell was going on, or he was the dumbest elk ever. So now I think you and I wasted like at least an hour on this freaking bullet after this point. Cause he just kept keeping his distance. He wouldn't go away from us. He wouldn't run away from us. But he one, he wouldn't come and fight the bull when you introduced the bull. And he wouldn't come to the cows. And we kept like, we could never see him, but we knew he was right there because he was bugling. It was like yep. 150 yard, maybe 200 yard max game for like an hour and a half. And all the while, while this is going on, we keep hearing this other bull going off. And he seems close. He's like within 300 yards of us. And I'm like, yep. finally, I'm like, I look at you, I'm like, dude. I got to go catch a plane here in like two hours, <laughs> you know, we're going to, or leave to go catch a plane in like two hours. Let's just go after this other bull. He seems very interested. And, you know, sure as shit, you and I, we, we made our way over to where this bull was bugling and you're like, here, watch this. Let's just go up on this little bench right here. Quietly get up there and you challenge him and this freaking bull comes unglued and he comes charging down to right where we're at and stops behind a fucking deadfall tree and just paces back yeah, and forth paces back <laughs> paces back and forth at 30 yards behind this deadfall tree and i have zero shot and we were kind of in the opening at that point that's where that's the only thing we fucked up i think before you called we should have picked a better spot to call from like that was my only thing that i thought i was like what could we have done differently right there i mean that was the only thing we could have done differently. That whole scenario that morning, like we, I feel like we did almost everything right, minus me getting to where I wanted to get to before, you know. But that was just you know circumstantial. It's not like it wasn't the decision was there. The right decision was there. We just didn't make it. We just didn't get or execute it. And this, so he ends up walking off, and you and I look at each other and go, "Well, yeah." It's time to head back to Arizona, you know? So. Yep. Now I want, was, uh, I now want to hear about how it all came together. Now, Well, it, as you said, those last three days that uh, you were there is when stuff really started coming unglued. Like the, the elk were, they were being vocal. It didn't matter where we went, what location we went. So um, when you left, we went back into Serena's Hill because I was like, well, let's just go check and see if these bulls are here. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, they were there at the exact spot that I blew up on the 40-yard the shot that you had. Uh-huh. They were in the exact spot. <laughs> but I got, I got Pat with me now, and Pat's a great caller, but situational-wise, he don't know what to say and when to say it. So I'm coaching him through all this. So we got two bulls that are going nuts and they're talking to each other by themselves. And obviously there's a hot cow or cows in the area. And so as we're getting closer, we're, we're, we're gaining ground on them while it's still not shooting light. Mm -hmm. And I want to get in close this distance as much as possible before they decide to pick up and move. So, I got in position before we got in position. I told Pat, I said, cow talks only cow talks only. And, uh, <laughs> we get close. I go get set up 
And um, and I push him back probably about 50 to 70 yards behind me. And as soon as there's daylight, because I, I, I didn't get set up until it was daylight. Mm-hmm. Like, and as I pushed him over behind me, down and behind, so, you know, just slightly down the hill and behind me. I told him cow talks only. So when I set up, I got shooting right now. And I could see this cow up on top of the hill. I can't see none of the bulls, but I could hear them. Mm-hmm. And this one bull, I get a glimpse glimpse of, of his antlers. He's probably about a 320 bull. And he's big, big enough for me. And and then there's over the hill, there's this big herd bull. He keeps, both of them are talking to each other. Well, when the herd bull erupts, Pat erupts with a bugle. <laughs> now, he, now he changed the whole dynamic. Now he has another bull that's moving in even closer to his herd. And I told Pat specifically, I said, they're talking on their own, only cow talks, because I want to see if we can pull this big satellite bull in. And when I did that, when he did that, he changed the whole dynamic. Now that bull wasn't there going to come in. And I wasn't, I wasn't saying nothing at this point, but he just kept bugling. And I said, well, now I got to introduce cows now. So I started introducing cows and I made it sound like there was cows between me and Pat. Right. And I had to change it because he just kept bugling. He he made some cow noises, subtle, you know, not not a lot, just a few, but not what I wanted him to do. Mm-hmm. And um so it was a teaching moment, right? So that hunt got blown up, but the hunt that morning didn't get blown up because I know the area is so good. I just started listening to this bull and sure enough, we basically found ourselves really close to where you had missed that bull in the fog. Mm. And when we did this, we closed the distance on that big herd bull. And when we was closing the distance, I wouldn't say anything to this cow. I mean, to this bull, no bull sounds at all. He would erupt when I threw out cow sounds and he'd give up his location. So, at this point, we're working our way to this bull and we keeping the wind in our favor. And all right, now I feel like I'm close enough to this bull. So I set Pat up for the uh, next uh, next setup on this bull. Mm-hmm. And this bull erupts, erupts, and I can see him. He's probably 80 yards up the hill. And he's staying vocal, staying vocal. But the last bugle that he pushed out, another bull had moved in. And both of them sound equally as big. I never got eyes on that bull. Mm-hmm. So I said, I rushed Pat up the hill. I said, come on, man, let's get up this hill. We get up the hill, close some more distance out on this bull. When I did, I said, okay, Pat, you set up here. And I eased in on these aspens. And uh, when I did, I set up and I started making, uh, he started making some cow noises. Mm-hmm. When he did, this bull comes unglued and comes back, dude. I ranged a couple of logs. I had one at 67 and I had another one at 67. I said, well, two windows that if he pops out in, I'm going to shoot this bull. Mm-hmm. Now, I got eyes on this bull and he is giant. He's a 360 plus bull. Huge six by six, symmetrical. He has big fronts. He ha- He's everything you picture in a giant bull. So he, he starts coming and now I'm, I'm ready. If if he gets to this certain point, I'm going to give it to him. Well, he runs off a smaller little three by three. Mm-hmm. And when he does, 
he breaks into my my first window, but he's severely quartering to me, mm. severely. And I can't take the shot. So when he does that, runs off that smaller bull, the smaller bull runs past me at 40. And then he goes back and he takes his horn and he jams it up this cow's butt. I'm telling you, it was like, boom, just nudges her. When he does that, he's going to come up and he's pushing her up the hill. And he only has like five cows. But when he comes through, I think he, it, I tried to stop him at the, the next window of 67 and he would have been broadside. When he starts going back up the hill, he comes right through the window, but he pushes right up the hill. And I'm like, Jesus, I cow, I cow sound to try to, you know, to get him to stop. Mm-hmm. He didn't. He Bark. didn't stop at all. I should have barked. I should have barked to make him stop at that window. I never did. And uh, he pushed up the hill. And then when he, he got up in the hill, he went and followed the ridge line way back. After that, like that opportunity, we didn't have another opportunity at that bull because he shut up completely. Mm. So, you know, that, that morning hunt was great. But we're working at ridge line, working at ridge line, and we ran into two other guys that were back in there. And the Jeep guys? when we did, yeah, they they they've been back in there camping. Yeah, I think me and you walked past their camp. Yep, yep. And uh, we ran into one of them, and uh, he was like, "Yeah, I heard y'all this morning. Y'all sounded great. This, that, and this." And then he was showing me some pictures of some some elk that they had on camera. Mm. And there was one bull that was a um, seven by six, and I said, "Wow, that's a, that's a nice bull." And I was looking at another bull on his camera. And it was the exact same bull that we had been chasing that morning. Mm-hmm. And I said, that is him. That's the big boy that we've been chasing. So he had multiple pictures of bulls in there. They were they were locals. They had drew the tag and, and they were locals. So they'd hunt up there for a few days and then come out. So after that morning, I told Pat, listen, man, I don't want to go back in there until I know they're not in there. I said, because they're camping in there. They're hunting all in there. It's just too much in there. So we changed locations and then uh, went over and checked. Uh, I said, well, if, they, if they're if they in that ridge, I said, I bet you they're, they're in this other ridge. So that was the morning hunt. The evening hunt, we ended up back in Serena's Hill, but we didn't go far. And we got the bulls to sound off and we chased them, but we didn't go as far as those other guys camped. And we chased them for a little bit and, and didn't work out well. The next morning, I changed the whole strategy. I said, if those guys are in there, then we need to check the next drainage over. I guarantee you there's bulls in that next drainage over because I'm not hearing that afternoon. I didn't hear them as much as I did the morning of. So I said, maybe they pushed over to the other drainage. Mm -hmm. So the next morning, we we parked the truck where you could jump on this trailhead and walk this trailhead and run this ridge line. Run, you split the the ridge line basically, not the ridge line, but the next drainage. You split it down and you work. I was going to work from the back of the drainage and walk back to the truck, which is probably ends up being about a six to a seven mile loop. Well, something that night was telling me, do not start like that. Start working your way. Don't hit the trailhead. Work to the top of the drainage. I mean, to the top of the ridge line and work the ridge line back. So I explained that to these guys, and I was like, uh, I got my, I got Jess, the cameraman, here with me, and then I got Pat. And he's gonna call for me, and I said, 
this is my plan, guys. Y'all just give me the green light. I can go either way with this. I said, but I feel like if we jump on that trail and walk back, we're going to miss some bugles going in because all these elk have been coming down to these to this private land that's down low and then working up. I said, well, sure enough, everybody was like, man, we're, we'll do whatever you want to do. And uh, I said, all right, this is it. it was, I've never been this direction into this hunt. So I, we hauled butt to get – we don't know what we got to face in, in hills. I can only put my map on 3D. And as we start working in, we get to the top of this this hill, and we heard a bull. And he's really close to us. I said, oh, wow. I said, we got a stage right here. I, I'm not even at my staging spot yet because we're walking in the dark. So I we stay, we change our staging spot, and then we can hear all these elk lower than us. But there's our drainage that we're at. There's another drainage that kind of works to the top of this ridge line. I said, huh. And uh, daylight comes. The bull that was in front of us had completely shut up, and he could have smelled us. We have no clue. So I said, we got to get to this top of this ridge because they're going to work this other ridge. I'm dissecting my map. So instead of going toward the elk, I'm going and trying to predict where they're going because they're working up. And we get to the top of this this uh, ridge, top of this ridge, and in this drainage that they're working in. And when we did, we got there just in time, just in time to interact with the herd because they were moving fast. So we had three bulls in there that were giant sounding off like going nuts so i pushed pat back the first setup didn't work i I needed to get closer so then i pushed in again even further and uh when i did this i'm relocating all these bulls they kind of get quiet and then they 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 sound off and when i did and i I relocated them i pushed in i pushed back pat back i said cow talks only so when i pushed in (laughs) i put a reed in my mouth and I just waited there because I got like three bulls in here that are big. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, the cameraman just says, bull, 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 he's coming. And so I grabbed my bow because my bow is leaning against a tree and I'm just listening. I grabbed my bow. I got eyes on the bull. And I'm like, okay, this bull is big enough for me. And when he comes through the window, he comes through at 18 yards. But remind you, he's coming hard left to my to my left. And yep. Pat, Pat is behind me hard left, probably about 70 yards. Mm. And Pat can see me, but Pat can't see the elk. And this bull is directly V-lining straight to Pat. And um, when he does, he's got, remember I said, don't give away your location. That bull had no, no clue I was there. I didn't make one noise. And then uh, when his head got behind a tree, I drew my bow and then when he came out to the window, he was 19 yards. And now I set my pin. I have a slider that I set my pins on. I set my pins at 30, 40, 50. And I knew that it was too late to adjust. So I took my 30-yard pin and held it really low, like brisket low on him. Mm-hmm. And I knew that was going to, you know, pull that pin right where, I mean, that shot right where it needed to be. And the window of opportunity was great, but he stopped slightly before that and i I said well i i got a shot here do i wait until he gets to that that bigger opening or do i take the shot now by the time i you know kind of made my decision 
I released that arrow. And when I did, he whirled. I was like, did I shoot him in the shoulder? And I, I, I don't like shooting in that close to the shoulder. Right. I never do. Most of my elk, I pull about five to six inches off that shoulder. And I aim for double lung. I, I never aim for heart. And um, when he whirled and I seen that Luminoc break off, uh-huh. I was like, I said, I don't know if I got enough penetration. So I'm cow calling at this point, cow calling, cow calling, like, trying to stop him. And I stopped him about 70 to 80 yards away. And all I could see was his legs. Couldn't see his body, but I could see his legs. And I'm still talking. And in the midst of all this, these other bulls are going nuts. <laughs> and I'm paying attention to the one I shot, you know, just I could see his legs. And it went on for about, I don't know, it felt like five to ten minutes, but it only was like a minute. And next thing I know, I seen him crash. Boom, just crash. That's when I look at the cameraman and I said, I think he crashed. But I all I could see was legs. Right. I didn't see. And then, you know, when you think you see him crash, it might have been just him stumbling. Right. So a bunch of things were running through my brain. I was like, dang, did I see him crash? This, that, and this. So then I, I waved over Pat to me. And, and remind you, Pat has a tag. Right. So now that, the, you know, the elk had, I think his inspired or fell over, tripped, whatever I've seen, I wave pad over to he had a tag too so i i had three three bigger bulls uh, at least sounding bulls in there and so i push him up front of me to my right and i start working these other bulls and they're getting closer and closer and closer and uh so close that i could hear their cows like maybe 60 yards from us we couldn't see him at all. And this one herd bull was trying to gather up and he was doing roundup bugles and them cows wasn't listening to him and he was getting angry <laughs> and, uh, and he's getting closer and closer, but then he starts veering off to my right and I could hear the cows going off to the right. So I said, wow. I said, well, we kind of worked him a little bit and then we're talking and all this is filmed, right? right. That was the big objective is get this on film. And, um, uh, so I said, well, Pat, let's leave these bulls alone. Let's concentrate on the task at hand. And I think we got a bull down. So I said, okay, let me uh, let me replay this for you, Pat, because you didn't see what happened. And it kind of replayed it for him and whatnot. And I was the night before that, I was the day before that, I was giving Pat um, a little bit of brief on being able to stay the right things and when to say them and right. uh, what not to say and whatnot. And it was a teaching moment for Pat because this is like the first big archery elk hunt that he's been on. He's He's been on rifle hunts, uh-huh. but he's never experienced this. And um, so I, I gave him praise. I said, man, you, you sounded really good today. And he said it was because he, he'd broken out open a new, a new amp. Uh-huh. And uh, from from Phelps Game Call, so I was like, "Well, whatever you did today, you need to sound like that all all the time." And, uh, <laughs> and we were just joking and whatnot. But so at that point, I went over and, and I was still still kind of thinking, "Man, I didn't get enough penetration." Well, I walked over there where he had whirled and snapped my arrow, uh-huh. and seeing that three quarters of my arrow was gone, I only had, you know, 
a quarter of it left. Right. When he snapped it off, and it was blood clear up on that thing. And I, 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 I knew at that point, I said, I must have went right through his shoulder. Right. That's the only thing I could think of. Or I was so far behind it when his front leg went back. Yeah, he snapped it off. That he, that he snapped it. I had no clue, but I knew I was tight to the shoulder. We planted it in my head. So then I went back and looked at the camera, and I was like, dude, I blew right through that front shoulder. Right. And uh, so when I say that, you, you're not going to blow through big bones. I blew through his scapula. Scapula, is yeah. What yeah. I blew. Yep. And um, so I, I was fist pumping, saying, I replayed it in my mind right. So if I'm playing this right, we're going to give this bull about 30 minutes. I said, he fell right over there. Mm-hmm. But what we're going to do is sit down, have a little drink, snacks, play the time. And 30 minutes went by. Eat, and I said, eat some right, candy. Drink some, eat some ma- candy. Drink some Mountain Dew. And drink some Mountain Dew. Got exactly. to re- refill Robo, Robo Hodge. <laughs> and uh, he did not bleed at all. I was following tracks. Uh-huh. So when I got on his tracks, I followed his tracks, followed his track, and there was this down log. And it had branches everywhere. And I said, I know he didn't go through this. And then when I got around that tree, I seen him there. He was dead. Mm-hmm. I was like, done. When I went over there, you know, kind of we, we celebrated and whatnot. And then I, I said, let's flip him over because I want to see this shot. Because mm-hmm. it, it never had an exit shot. Next exit wound. Right. So when I looked at it, I blew through the scapula on the, the first shot, hit him in the heart, and then lodged into his other off. Uh, off shoulder <laughs> the broadhead was still in his off shoulder when we were cleaning him up it was crazy i've never done that but i never try to aim like that either right because a lot of bad, bad things can go wrong you hit big bone and you ain't you're not gonna you're not gonna go through big bone like that right um i don't yeah you, you might you know lodge into it but but anyways, I, I blew through the front shoulder and hit the opposite shoulder, and that bull didn't go 80 yards. He was dead. So let's go ahead and fast forward. We got all that meat out at once. It was all three of us, and we had our packs loaded. But we, mind you, we were only 1.2 miles from the truck. Nice. And that wouldn't, that wouldn't have happened if I didn't change our game plan. Mm-hmm. We would have been three miles back, maybe four miles back, and killed one and and had to get him back out back there. So we get back to camp and we're doing a little celebrating, get all the meat taken care of. And sure enough, uh, Jess has to leave because he has to work. So our camera guy's down. I try to take the camera with me for this hunt, but it never got filmed. It partial pieces of it got filmed, but I'm going to tell you the story now. Okay. I said, we're going to go right back into the same area and we're going to check. They got to be in there. So sure enough, we get back in the same area where I killed mine and they're not there. I said, Pat, we're going to go up the ridge, up to the top of this ridge line and run the ridge line all the way back until we find them. We didn't have to run the ridge line very far. We got to the top and I called in a five by with a cow. Mm-hmm. But Pat is nervous as all get out because I walk. I did one calling sequence, didn't hear him calling sequence. And I heard a distant bugle, but it sounded to our left and down the hill quite a ways. And then after about 20 minutes, I was like, well, we're we going to move. 
And I walk to Pat and we're talking and I'm talking at Pat. Next thing I know behind Pat, here comes this bull and cow. So I point, I point, And if you know anything about elk coming in silent, you need slow movements because they'll, they'll peg you moving. Uh-huh. The wind was in our pretty much not going down to them, but going down the hill. They were coming up, but if they came hard left to us, they were going to smell us. And, um, Pat was all giddy and he moved too much. And then the bull whirled out and uh, took a cow with him. So it didn't work out. Now I kind of told him, I said, you got to slow movements when you, you see these elk or when I tell you and you don't see them just slowly move and turn to the to position that they are in and uh, kind of teaching moments. Right. 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 So we run to run the ridge line over a little ways and we get to this drainage that falls off to the right. I throw out a location bugle. This dude erupts immediately. So now I'm like, okay, all right, he's down there. We're going to cover the distance. But when I get closer to this bull, I do not bugle at all. I start cow sounding to relocate this bull. Uh When I do, he erupts immediately. I said, Jesus, He, he was, he came up from the bottom and then he was trying to relocate. So he kept bugling. So then I, I found us in a position where uh, he might be, and then I need to find him again, basically relocate him. Right. I let out two cow sounds. This dude can't be 70 yards from us. I said, oh, my God. Now, the wind is in our favor. It's coming. It has switched. The thermals are coming up. Everything's working for us. And I pushed. I told Pat, I said, get in front of these three pine trees. So, Pat, I know the bull's coming, but Pat hesitates too much. Mm-hmm. So now he sees the bull at 25 yards. This bull is a big bull. I'm like, oh my God. So I throw some cow sounds behind me to make it sound like, you know, we got some cows up the hill. Right. This bull is skirting hard right. He gets to a 20 yard window. Pat gets on his knees and comes a full draw. And I tried to stop the bull at the 20 yard window. Well, when he gets to the 20 yard window, he keeps walking past that window. Now I know Pat has another window that's going to come up and he's probably going to be right around that 35 yards. I can't range at this point. Mm-hmm. The only, only thing Pat can really do is cause he's at full draw is get around the tree and reposition himself because the bull is coming up hard right. So Pat gets around a tree. The bull never stops in the 35-yard window, and then he walks up, and I don't see any angle from where I am. Right. So when Pat gets around a tree, gets his arrow around a tree, or mind you, Pat is left-hand shooter. And so Pat gets around a tree, and he accidentally triggers the release, and he shoots the dirt. I'm like, what are you doing, Pat? You know, I'm kind of trying to calm Pat down and talk him through it. I said, knock another arrow. And so Pat's looking at me, knocks another arrow. And then, you know, when I'm looking through the window, all I see is like these twigs coming down. And I, But I'm not at his angle. I'm a little, you know, I'm right behind him, but I can't see no angle from where I am. And I could see this bull kind of stopped and looking towards my direction. Well, Pat 
settles in for another shot. And I'm like, man, I just can't see what angle he's shooting through. Well, next thing I know, he releases the arrow. And I heard that, like, you hitting your fist in your other hand. Right. And it sounded, it sounded good. And I was like, the bull world went back down the hill where it came from. And I'm paying attention to the offside shot. Uh-huh. And I don't see any shot. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. I said, it sounded like a clean shot. Well, we sat there and we replayed it. I, I had to listen to his story four or five times to put it all together. I said, okay, Pat. I said, you said you seen body. I seen twigs. I said, okay. So we dropped our stuff. And at this point, it's probably about 45 minutes after he had shot. Mm-hmm. After replaying it in my head, it sounded like he was far back shot, like a liver shot. And I told him, I said, Bud, I think you shot him in the liver. I said, but it just didn't make sense to me because if he would have shot him in the liver, he would have blew through both sides. Right. And I, I said, I didn't see an offside shot, you know. So, all right, we go over there at 45 minutes. We drop our stuff where he shot. And then I'm like, see, Pat, that's a small, it was a very small window, dude. It was probably the size of uh, maybe two softballs put together. <laughs> and I said, what'd you put him at? He said, 40. Well, we ranged it. It was 38. Okay. So, so. at that point, I knew he had hit him. Right. I said, you hit him. I just don't know where, how far back and whatnot. So, but I planted in my mind. I said, man, he's, that's, it's a liver shot. It has to be a liver shot. And, um, so we're looking for his arrow and we don't see his arrow. And then I said, well, I want to walk. I, I don't want to go down there searching for him yet, but I just want to see if there's blood where he skirted down the hill and I found a drop of blood. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, confirmed hit. So we go back to the packs. And I said, dude, we're not leaving. The shot started at 8.30. I said, and we gave him two, two hours from the time he shot him. And then we started slowly tracking him. And, dude, it was blood. It was blood at one spot, and then he'd go 15 yards, and then it'd be blood. And then he'd go another 15 yards and be blood. And then the blood started spreading out, and I was like, geez, man, this is going to be tough. And we got to the point where it was about – an hour and a half into the track job. Uh-huh. And I look, Pat is probably, I don't know, 60 yards behind me. And I see antlers. It's like shit hunting. Uh-huh. But these were sitting straight up. And I said, oh, shit. dude, this elk, is, this elk is still alive. Right so I wait. <laughs> I, yep, he bedded down. I waved up Pat and I said, we got to get another shot at this bull. But he's bedded up hill just a little bit from us so from where i was to where he was was probably about maybe 80 yards but i knew pat you know i said i don't know if we even gonna get another shot on this bull well when pat gets up there i feel the wind kind of pushing right up to the bull Mm. and believe it or not he had all his senses because he didn't know we were there he just smelled us so he we both were in the that 70 yard window and uh the bull staggers to get up he gets up and he's he stumbles a little bit and i said oh man didn't see the first shot because when he got up the shot i seen the shot he's the side he shot right then when the bull turned 
he didn't run away. He walked away. I had my binos on him. I said, oh, man, that was a quartering, that was a quartering two shot at an angle, and you shot him back. So the arrow went through the livers and was hanging out in the guts. Oh. So, so I said, I said, bud, we got to give this bull some time, man. And, uh, but he didn't, like I said, didn't w- run away. He was sick. Yeah. So he would walk away. And we kept, we walked up there to where he bedded down. We had good blood where he bedded down. And when I put my binos on him before he had left that area, I seen that arrow and I was like, yeah, we, we definitely got to give him some time. So we walked up there, kind of set our stuff down. And I said, all right, we'll give him an additional two and a half to three hours. So at this point, before, when we started tracking this bull, mm-hmm. We were in six hours into this. And um, we had started blood trailing him at like five again, five hours. And then we were slowly tracking him. And we got to the point where we ran into some cows and we had to be quiet because the cows were up the hill. We didn't want to spook the cows. We didn't want the cows to spook him. But his blood trail led away from the cows. So it kind of, you know, worked out in our favor. And then we got to about hour six and I was like, drop my stuff. And I'm like, dude, I, I met this guy that stays in town down the way and he's got blood tracking dogs. Now, the only reason I really, really considered this is because the bull was a, a nice size bull right. and it was Pat's first bull. And I said, I know this is a walking dead bull, but dude, we might just pull out of here and come back in the morning and get these dogs on them. Well, we didn't have to. I passed off all this information to the lady that works with him. Uh-huh. And anyways, Lindsay's her name. And so she, uh, we were talking on the phone. And as we're talking on the phone, I'm trying to be as quiet as I can. I heard something that sounded like antlers hit, hit, a, hit a tree. Uh-huh. It sounded different than like, you know, acorns dropping. Right. It sounded like corn. So after I gave her this information, I said, listen, I'm, let me know what you think. And I'm going to stay on this blood trail and try to keep, you know, searching. Right, right. Sure enough. Got about 150. I said, come on, Pat, get your stuff. Let's go. He had about 150 yards into the track and I spotted him. He was about 25 yards from me, bedded in some pine trees. <laughs> and I told Pat, I said, right there. I said, you need to go up the hill because I have no shot from where I am. Right. I said, you need to go up the hill and try to shoot at him. But anyways, well, Pat did a good job, man. He snuck up the hill without even cracking a limb, made another shot. But the bull wasn't down yet. That's how strong these these dudes are. (laughs) So then Pat comes back down the hill where I am to get a better angle because the bull got up after the next shot. And he stumbled and fell again. So Pat got down and he was, you know, another 20 yards from the bull and made a, a final shot on this bull. But mm-hmm. he ended up finishing that bull. But rewind back. We went to Serena's Hill and we ran into that guy that had the camera. Uh-huh. And he had, he had multiple bulls on the camera. And he was showing us that seven by six. That's the bull. Well, that was the bull. That was the bull that he had on camera. And he was complete ridge over. And if you ran it from where we found that bull to where they probably had the camera, where I assumed they had the camera, uh-huh. it was about th- 
it was about three miles, three miles, which yeah. is nothing for a bull. Right. And and but what I will say is when people say, oh, man, they were in here and they're gone. Or did you check the drainage or the ridge line over to the left or right? Yeah. Because they could be over there. Right. And that's typical because if they're in that area during the, the rut of everything, then they're probably not going to be too far off. So we talk about that five-mile five radius. They're probably going to be within that five-mile radius. Yeah. It just so happened he was in that three-mile as a crow flies from where that guy possibly had that camera. But, yeah, Pat did a great job. We ended up after – that was a heck of a pack out because we well, – Let me ask me you Pat, this. Did you, did you call AAA? <laughs> no. We, call, we definitely called – we. We we definitely called Justin and a couple other buddies to come up and help. <laughs> but Ooh. me and Pat took out some meat, and then we had to go back in there. And then by then, we had two other buddies come in, and we took a different route in, in there the next time, and it made it a heck of a whole lot easier. Because the first route out was brutal. And then I said, I don't want to go back in that way. And then we took a different route in and mm. out. And it was way easier. Yeah. And um, well, anyways, yeah, man, that that kind of summed up this this season. We 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 entered it in a bang. Uh, I'm glad you guys um, got it done. And I mean, I obviously when you you sent me both pictures when it happened, and I was like, wow, that bullet, that pat shot, stellar. Your bull's a nice bull too. But I know you were yep. you were hoping to get a bigger than that, but. Um, no, man, that was great. Great season. Actually, I was sitting here thinking about it. I was like, man, there were so many other things that we didn't talk about. We didn't talk about any of those willow bulls, the bull that I, oh, I this bull that I snuck up on and I had a headshot only at 40 yards. Uh, the one, the one that was Yeah. Yep. And then, yeah. And then we didn't, we didn't talk about Mr. Triple A. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So the comic relief. Yeah. So yeah, we're, we're, this guy waves us down. We're going heading back to, to camp and waves us down with a flashlight. We're like, what the hell's going on? And we went over there and he's like, he thought we were from AAA coming to help him and we were passing oh, by my. him and he wouldn't stop. I'm like, dude, we're not from AAA. We're wearing camouflage. The guy was like, and then he offered us like, First, he offers us $40, and we're like, I don't, we don't want your money, man. We just stop and help you because we saw another human being in, in need. And then he's like, do you want some pot cookies? I'm like, no, I don't want pot yeah. cookies. <laughs> yeah. So, so rewind this a little bit. When we did get weighed down, we went over there, and the guy was like, um, change the tire? Change the tire? I said, Oh, uh, you got a flat you need changed? I had no clue what he was talking yeah. about. <laughs> so he says a round back. So he wasn't being complete with any sentences. No. And no, I, because he was loaded. Was the guy was drunk yeah. and high. He was he was drunk and high. And uh then we went around back and he, he was like, Oh yeah, you know, tiring. And then he kept doing like John said, he kept thinking we were triple A. And uh finally John was like, Look, dude, we're good Samaritans just trying to help you out. And then it dawned on him. He was like, oh, oh. I don't know if it really even dawned on him. <laughs> yeah. So then he kept offering us money that we didn't want. Yeah. And uh, and then he went on to 
that man, well, listen, my wife, my wife, uh, she healed me. She healed me with these weed cookies. Y'all want some? <laughs> <laughs> it was man, and I was, I was so hangry at that point too. Like I just, I was yeah. like, dude, I just want to, ch- I mean, this all went down very quickly because you were, you and I were like a fucking pit crew, <laughs> like, yeah, you know, we, but we had that tire change in less than 10 minutes. Yeah. It's probably way faster than that. It was probably more like seven minutes. But yeah, no, it was pretty funny. Not having the right tools and stuff that went pretty Yeah, quick. not even having the right tools. <laughs> anyway, that was it. I mean, honestly, I wish I had, and I, I don't think we really got anything on film like when when I was involved with any of the, I don't know, maybe. I think you said I got, you might have got, got a little your, I got your last hunt. You did? All right. I, yeah, want, I want to see that. I want to see that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll get that over to you. Anyways. Yeah. Well, man, I feel like this is like a Joe Rogan podcast over here. I had John for like an hour <laughs> and 45 minutes. That's like long for me. Well, uh, well, awesome, bro. I mean, always, uh, always enjoy hunting with you and you know, the sharing camp was, was awesome. We had a great time. I had a great time. Um, yeah, it was- so hopefully, uh, hopefully we're gonna get you, you, get you out here this year for deer or javelina. Something we'll make something happen. Uh, I yeah. know, uh, I, I I know that we got a lot of hunts lined up right now. Mm-hmm. And then uh, uh, I talked to the wife, and I think we can make at least a javelina hunt. Yeah. Some maybe happen. If not, definitely the following year. Um, yeah. But uh. But we got to get you back out here when these elk are going absolutely bonkers. Um, and 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 they did, they did towards the end of the season, your last three days, and then the no, nah, it was it was good, man. I had and I had uh, even even as slow as it was in the beginning, I had opportunities. I'm so I'm like, I was never upset. Like it's not like I went there and I got skunked. Like I had opportunities. I just I was upset that that's the second time I've hunted Colorado and that's the second time I'm going home without a bull. And, and it's yeah, not exactly. I, the first time, and I've told that story a million times on the podcast, but I've had that, you know, had opportunities that, that first hunt too. So I can't even bitch, but, um, oh. anyway, it was, it was great. Like I said, I think I do, I do think the, the, the cycle of those cows came in a little later. Most yep. of majority of them, majority of the cows came in heat towards the end of season right now there were some cows that did come in heat you know throughout season but i think majority of them didn't come in so later it's cyclical man i'm telling you i made that correlation and it's like i mean i could you could set your watch to it it's it's crazy next year it'll be completely opposite so yeah it'll be cows coming in heat early in the season Mm mm-hmm and then a few trickle off from the later season, which could be very good for me right. and my my kids because my kids have the the first rifle season, so they could be absolutely going bonkers up there. Yep. Who knows? Yeah, that'd be awesome. That'd be that'd be a done deal. You give me a, you you give them a, a rifle in the hand and they sounding off. Whew. Yeah, yep. we'll get something down. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, it's good talking to you, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Absolutely, John. We'll talk soon. All right, bye. Hey guys, thanks for checking out the show. Really appreciate you. Keep those reviews and those comments coming. Helps us keep this free. Do me a favor, go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags. Use promo code John Stallone to save 20%, all one word. And check out Howl for Wildlife. Thank you very much and we'll catch you on the next show.